We've had more, we've had proof, we've had more proof, and now we have even more proof of faith. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me as I read from John chapter 15. I'll start in verse 18 and I'll go through 16, verse 4. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that your spirit would come upon us, that we would be mindful of your word and its place in our lives, that it would simply dwell within us and pour through all that we say and do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 15, verse 18 following. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, the slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. And you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, there are nice people in the world, aren't there? Maybe you've had that blessing of of coming home from work one fall afternoon and finding your neighbor on a ladder cleaning your gutters out for you. Or maybe you were the one cleaning out your neighbor's gutters. Or maybe you uh, went on vacation for a couple weeks and came home and found that your lawn was perfect. And you thought, who did this? And then your neighbor waves, you know, and... Or if you spend any time up north, it's not uncommon that one person in the neighborhood, when you get a big snowfall, will take their snowblower and will work everybody's driveway and clear everybody's walkway. And you walk out with your shovel and your gloves and everything, and it's already done. Okay? Now, people don't do these things because they're looking for you to, you know, drop a $20 bill on them to thank you. They're doing it because they need done, and they're doing it because they can do it, and they like to do it. It's a blessing for them to do something nice for you. Now, there was a study that I found in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, and it dealt with people who hate do-gooders. They hate do-gooders, or those people who are nice to others and don't ask anything in return. Let me quote a little bit. 
They probably think their selfless behavior makes them popular. But the truth about do-gooders is nobody really likes them, according to this new research. A series of studies found that those who volunteer to take unwanted tasks or who hand out gifts without being prompted quickly alienate others. Psychologists believe this is because it makes the rest of us feel guilty and puts pressure on us to behave in an equally selfless fashion. Researchers say do-gooders come to be resented because they raise the bar for what is expected of everyone. And the person who did this study, this psychologist, Professor Parks, said, the fear is that this new standard will make everyone else look bad. It doesn't matter that the overall welfare of the group is better served by someone's unselfish behavior. What is objectively good, we see as subjectively bad. The do-gooders are also seen as deviant rule breakers. Okay? It's as if they're giving away monopoly money to keep everybody else in the game. Okay? Professor Parks of Washington State University carried out a series of four tests with groups of people which showed that do-gooders got people's backs up. In each case, others reacted to the do-gooders' selfless actions by wanting them thrown out of the group. The nicer they were, the more they hated them. Okay. Parks led this research, and he said, During the research, participants were handed an allocation of points that they could keep or give up for an immediate reward of a meal service voucher. They were also told that giving up points would improve the group's chance of receiving a monetary reward to be shared between them at the end. Generally, those within the groups would make what seemed to be fair swaps of one point for each voucher. Now, however, in each group, one was briefed to make a lopsided exchange. They would greedily, greedily give up no points and take vouchers from other people. Or they would unselfishly give up a lot of points and take very few vouchers. So one was a greedy person, one was what we would call the do-gooder or the nice person. As expected, most participants later said they would not want to work with the greedy colleague again. But a majority of participants also said they would not want to work with the unselfish colleague again. Just let that sink in. Again, the nicer they were, the more they were disliked. Now, this does not give you license to go out and be nasty today. Okay, I don't want you to think that that's, that's what I'm saying here. Occasionally, they would suspect the person had ulterior motives or that the person made us look bad or that they were breaking the rules in some fashion. Now, some, while some do-gooders in, in general may have ulterior motives, Professor Park said it's more likely that they actually are working for the good of the wider group, and the wider group hates it. It hates it. Now, there are many things that jumped out of this study at me, but this one phrase in particular, what is objectively good we see as subjectively bad. People get hated for being selfless and, and caring about others more than they do themselves and thinking of the well-being of the group over their own individual well-being. The actions are objectively good. We want to help others, but we see them as subjectively being bad. How others feel about their actions is subjectively bad. Okay? Now, this is based purely in a secular setting. There's no, there's no Christianity involved in this study at all. They don't they like me, apparently. 
those, those are all deacons getting, getting lunch ready. I know that, okay? Okay? So there's no religious connotations to this connected in, in whatever fashion. They could, they could just be strict humanists or they could be Christians involved in the study. There's no, there's no faith involved. But if the world hates those who do good for no particular reason, imagine how they will hate those who do good because the love of Christ compels them to act in that fashion. Now, if you're living a Christ-like life, it's just a matter of time. Sooner or later, you will be hated. That's just what Scripture says. Sooner or later, it will happen. Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, or Fox's Book of Martyrs, are great studies of this uh, that will help you understand what this means. There's a cost to being a disciple of Christ. And if you've read Bonhoeffer's biography, the latest one that's come out, uh, you'll know that eventually he gave his life. Fox's Book of Martyrs is very old, and it lists this, this great tale of those who gave up their life uh, for the things of Christ, there is uh, one story in particular of a man who sat in his uh, kind of a dungeon cell every night, and he had a candle there. And, and the guards would come in and see him holding his hand over the candle, and it would, he could smell the flesh burning. And one guy said, what are you doing? He says, I'm preparing myself for the flame so that I don't let my Savior down. I'm getting used to the flame. Okay. The Voice of the Martyrs, you can look that up on the internet today, uh, full of information and stories concerning people around the globe today who are suffering because of the, their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps in our world today, with so many competing messages, so many promises of better life, the church has minimized the negative impact of becoming a Christian. I mean, how would it sell if, uh, you know, probably wouldn't sell very well on television if the preacher got up and told you that you were going to suffer. or Maybe it would cost your life if you come and follow Jesus Christ, if you do these things. Now, that just doesn't sell today. But understand, Jesus never sugarcoated the message. He said, you will be hated because of me. You will suffer because you follow me. And we know that... Uh, um, out of the uh, eventual 12, 12 disciples, including Paul, we're not counting Judas in that, but of, of the 12, 11 of them were martyred, died because of their faith. Only John survived, and he did take a, a trip through a boiling pot of oil. That's what tradition tells us, but he survived that. Uh, so they gave up their lives for the things of Christ. Now, there are great advantages to the things of Christ as well, both in this world, but we understand some of those advantages don't kick in until the next world, too. Okay? So Jesus tells us about one of the disadvantages that we will face. He says, you will be hated. Now, why should believers be hated for attempting to live in the same fashion that Jesus lived? Now, in chapter 14, we've, we've seen this previously in chapter 14, he tells them of these great promises and, and makes all these things uh, clear to them as a sense to build them up. He tells them that he's going to prepare a place for them. He says, I'm going to come back and get you and take you with me so, so where I am you will be. He promises that they will do greater works. He says, you ask anything in my name and I will grant it to you. I will send you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. makes all these promises to them. So that they might understand, in the midst of the hostility that they're going to face, in the midst of the hatred that they will experience because they are followers of Christ, he is there with them. And all of these things that he has promised to them will be manifest in their lives. The world will hate them with the same venom they hated Christ. The world will attempt to kill them with the same venom that they attempted and eventually did kill Jesus Christ. 
they will meet hostility in the world in the same way that Jesus met hostility. And it's not just in the immediate context. It is for everyone who follows Christ. Now, let's have a little bit better understanding of the immediate context that the disciples were in in the first century, in the first several hundred years. They were under the shoe or the thumb of the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire extended everywhere from the Euphrates to England, uh, from Germany to North Africa. It encompassed all kinds of people, all kinds of cultures, and the Romans tolerated very little dissension in their ranks, okay? And the one thing that they attempted to use to unify all of these diverse people's groups was emperor worship or the worship of Caesar. So once a year, everybody in the Roman Empire had to go into one of the Roman temples and take basically a pinch of incense and throw it into the fire and it would blow up this little bit of smoke and you had to say, Caesar is Lord. Once a year. And when you left that, you could go worship any other god that you wanted to worship. But you had to worship Caesar in that way. And that was a problem for the believers because the Christians call no other man Lord. We have one Lord and one Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. And to go in and to do that once a year even was idol worship. And that made the Christians hated throughout the Roman Empire. Okay? Persecution always follows those who put Christ first in their life. It always follows it. Now, not only did the Roman government hate Christians, but the Roman people hated Christians as well. They hated Christians, number one, because they said that they were, to be, they were rebels. They refused to, to follow the path that everybody else was on and to worship Caesar. I mean, really, what does it cost you to go in one day a year for 30 seconds and throw a pinch of incense in there and say, Caesar's Lord, and walk out? Can't you do at least that much? No, we can't, because that is worshiping another god, and we're very clear we can't do that. Secondly, Christians were said to be cannibals. Why would we be cannibals? This is my body and my blood. Okay? Take and eat. They thought we were eating people. Okay? We. So, thirdly, they were said to be immoral. Now, I love this one. For the Romans to accuse anybody else of being immoral is, is uh, what the... the Pot calling kettle black. Thank you. I knew, I knew somebody would come up with that, that illustration. Yeah. Okay. Because they said, well, you're going to these love feasts. Okay. And what happens at a love feast in a Roman culture? Okay. It turns into a drunken orgy. And that's what they thought the Christians were doing. Uh, they didn't grasp any of this. Any of this. They also said that Christians are tampering with the fabric of society, the family unit. You're destroying families. You're tearing apart marriages. You're, you're, you're separating children from their parents and parents from their children. Well, that's sometimes what happens with the gospel. The gospel comes, and your life is changed. And sometimes you understand that your family will disown you because, what, now you're part of that do-gooder group. You're part of that group that wants to live like Christ lived, and the more you attempt to do that, the more the pagan world will hate you. The persecution continued probably for the next 300 years. Many gave their lives because they would not compromise on living out the Christian faith. So why would the world hate us? Let's look. I've got three reasons here. 
And there are some other things that, that we'll look at. So, number one, why would the world hate us from the passage? One, you are not of this world. If you belong to Christ, you are not of this world. Now, when he talks about the world, he is talking about this sinful system that goes on in this world. This world belongs to, the, to, to Satan. He, he, has, he has reign in this world, not free reign. He is obviously contained with the parameters that the Lord sets. But this world is full of rebellious men whose hearts are sinful. They want, they are focused on the values of the world, the pleasures of the world, and the priorities of the world. Okay, they are not focused on the priorities of our Heavenly Father as those who belong to Christ are. We are not of this world. Okay? So if you are different, you get hated. Now let me tell you a story about a guy who got hated because he was different. Does anybody know the name Jonas Hanway? Jonas Hanway. You all are very grateful for Jonas Hanway. Okay? Jonas Hanway is credited with discovering and inventing the umbrella. Okay? You can imagine he was from London. Where I think it rains every day in London or something like that. And he would walk down the street with his new umbrella in the rain and people would throw rocks and mud at him. Now, why would you throw rocks and mud at the guy who has just invented the new device that will keep you dry in the rain? Because he was different. Because he was doing something that not everybody else was doing. Everybody else is going along, soaking wet. And there's Jonas, nice and dry. So let's throw rocks at him. Okay? He was different. Society does not like a nonconformist. That's what we learned from Professor Park's study. They don't like someone who is selfless. And it's worse when the individual is a believer because they are united with Christ. They are part of the body of Christ. They are not like this world. They have different loyalties, different goals, and different priorities. Now, the disciples are included in the world's hatred of Jesus because, like him, they are not of this world. Chapter 18 of of John talks about that in particular. The world's hatred of them should be an encouragement. Now, I have to say, as far as I know, I was not hated this week for being a Christian. Okay? Were you? Well, you know, when was the last time, I I tried to think, when was the last time I really experienced hatred from someone for being a believer? I had trouble finding a time in my life when that happened. Now, I've been yelled at for, uh, you know, attempting to share my faith. Uh, Nobody's thrown rocks at me or mud at me. Uh, I've been turned off by people. Uh, You know, that is a form of hatred. But I thought part of that is our cultural, our culture as well, okay? Especially here in the South. You can be a Christian because, you know, the big, big part of the population is in church uh, on Sundays. But you go to other places, obviously other countries, you can lose your life if people know you're a believer. Or if you are sitting in a uh, cafe and, and having a coffee or something like that and somebody sits down next to you and you strike up a conversation and you begin to share the gospel with them, that's a punishable crime in a lot of countries and you can lose your life for sharing the gospel with others okay now i've been hated because i've been obnoxious okay that's different from being a christian okay and i've been an obnoxious christian okay now that's different from sharing the love of christ and being hated or doing the things that the gospel calls us to do and being hated so if you've been hated just because you've been obnoxious with the gospel well you deserved it okay in the same way that i deserved it when i did it okay 
The hatred the disciples and all who belong to Christ experience is part of a deep-seated rebellion within this sinful world. Okay? Don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. They hated Christ, they're going to hate us. Just be ready to adjust. Just be ready to accept it. Okay? Now, the second one is that they hate us because we have been chosen by Christ. Chosen by Christ. The Greek says literally chosen out of this world. This means Christ has come into this world and decided who will be his. Christ elects unto salvation. He chooses us for specific works in this world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We've been created for good works prepared before the foundations of the earth to do in Christ. Now it's interesting. In a world that rejects salvation in Christ, it hates those who are saved in Christ. It's like the atheist who spends all his time trying to disprove something he doesn't believe in. Think about that. The atheist doesn't believe there's a God, yet he spends his time attempting to disprove that there's a God. So if he doesn't believe there's a God, why should he spend any time discussing it? You know, when was the last time you attempted to disprove the Loch Ness Monster? Yeti? Abominable snowman? Okay, I mean, when was the last time you attempted to disprove it? Well, we don't spend any time on it, okay? There are more important things. We've got the gospel. Let's live it out, okay? Let's live it out. They hate we who are saved in Christ alone, even though they don't believe in salvation in Christ alone. The world and even some within the church hate this, this doctrine that Christ comes and he chooses and he elects. Read John chapter 6 or John chapter 8 or John chapter 10 or Romans chapter 8. I mean, it's, it's just woven all the way through Scripture, okay? I have picked you out of the world for myself. It's a reflective type of the language. For my very own. For my very own. To be different from the world around you. Okay? Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We are also created that we might do good works. We are created that we would belong to Christ. We are created to give him glory. To give him glory. So not only will the world hate us, but Satan will hate us. Satan does what? He goes around the world prowling like a lion, looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to, 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 to who's weak and who feels uh, this particular temptation, and, and he's going to facilitate that and try to manifest that in our lives, try to draw us away from the Lord in whatever capacity he can. So believers are chosen by Christ. That's one of the reasons they hate us. The third reason they hate us is that the world hates Christ. The world hates Christ. If we belong to him, they will hate us. We are identified with Christ. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you because it loves its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates believers because the grace of Christ, which is something we don't deserve, is bestowed upon us. It rains down upon us. It fills our lives. Okay? The world hates our master. It will hate his servants as well. And the hate does not exist simply because we are Christians. It, it exists beyond us. It exists because they hate Christ. We belong to Christ, so they hate us. As I said, don't take it personally. They hated Christ. They will hate us as well. You are chosen in Christ. You belong to Christ. Be ready to be hated for that salvation. Now, 
Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live not I, but yet Christ lives within me. If Christ lives within me and the world hated him, they're going to hate me as well. And you see, hate isn't something that is stored up. It's something that is vented on a regular basis, or sooner or later it has to be vented. So the world can't get to Christ, so it vents its hate upon, of Christ upon the body of Christ. The unbelievers who reject Jesus Christ and continue to hate him redirect that hate to the body of Christ. Let me assure you that hatred is just as viral or virile as it was 2,000 years ago when Christ walked this earth. Now, you know, most people don't experience this because their whole Christianity may revolve within the church circles or within a culture that is very friendly to the things of Christ. We don't feel the antagonism here because of our, our culture. But as I said earlier, go to another culture and you will feel that hatred of the things of Christ. Or better yet, how about this? You want some homework? Go home. Walk up and down your street. Find out, you know, if you know your neighbors, who doesn't go to church? Knock on their door and say, hi, I'd like to tell you that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer an eternity in hell and and the worm will eat you and never die and there'll be fire and there'll be gnashing of teeth and weeping. See if you're not hated. Okay? (laughs) See if you don't feel that antagonism towards it. Now, there are better ways to share your faith, okay? But you want to be hated, well, step in the fire. You'll be hated that way, Okay? So let's look quickly at the root of the problem. Two things from the root of the problem. First, they hate us because of his words. Because of his words. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. Now some men's words are arrogant. Some men's words are full of pride. uh, And and some men's words are full of hatred or lies. But the words of Christ were not full of any of these things. Okay, his words were humble, unselfish, loving, and gentle. Now, how can you hate these things? How can you hate things that are unselfish and loving and gentle? Until Christ came, everybody had their own measure of goodness, right? And we've talked about this before. As long as I am better than the guy next to me, then I'm convinced that I'm going to go to heaven. Well, along came Christ. Was there anybody better than Christ? No. Christ obeyed the law perfectly. He was without sin. Now we have this standard, and this standard eats at us because we hate it. We hate the do-gooders because they make us look bad. We've got to hate Christ because he's perfect. And I can never achieve that perfection, that standard that he has. There's a story about a missionary in Africa who um, was working with this tribe, and, and they were very famous for their, their, their battles and, their, and, and their, their conflicts, and they would tattoo themselves. And uh, this one missionary woman was working with the, the chief's uh, wife, and she came by one day, and there was a mirror hanging on a tree. And the chief's wife went by, and she looked in the mirror, and she was shocked, and she said, who's that, that ugly face on the tree or inside the tree? And the missionary's wife said, well, that's... That's a mirror. It reflects your image. And that was the first time that the woman had ever seen that image. Her face was tattooed. This look of anger and hatred on her face. She walked up to the mirror and she smashed it. She said she couldn't take the reality of who she was and what she looked like. Okay? When we hold Christ up, we are faced with the reality of our own sinfulness. And we hate him for it. And his words teach us those things. They present who he is to us. 
So secondly, they hate him because of his works. Verse 24. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. His works, like his words, brought sin to light. Jesus healed the lame, gave sight to the blind, raised the dead, restored destroyed limbs. You remember the guy with the withered hand and he speaks and it's, it's great? And they hate him for that. And they hate him for that. It, this is just almost beyond our, our minds to comprehend. The works of Jesus, like the words of Jesus, are the works of his heavenly Father. These are works filled with grace and mercy and compassion. And our deeds, next to the things of Christ, look like filthy rags. So instead of making my deeds better, I hate the perfect deeds. I hate the perfect deeds. Now remember, you can be hated just because you're an obnoxious Christian. Okay? And perhaps we have been that way. Perhaps we know people like that. And, and they're, they're, they're people of faith, but we just don't want to be around them because we just don't like them. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those who speak the things of Christ and who demonstrate the things of Christ in the way that Christ did. And, and, and the world will hate us because of those gentle things, because of our compassion, because of our uncompromising stance on what is right and what is wrong. This is just the way it is, and Christ warns us by that. There are people in the rest of the world who want to know why we aren't hated. Why do you get along so well in your culture? Why don't they hate you like they hate us? I had a dear woman in Wilmington who was reading this passage and we were talking about these things. She'd been a believer for 70 plus years. And she said, well, am I really saved? I don't think I've ever been hated. And, you know, she was just gentle and and compassionate and caring. And I said, don't worry. The world hates you. You may never have experienced it face to face, but they hate the gentleness of Christ that is manifest in your life. They hate the compassion of Christ that is manifest in your life. They hate the mercy that you show. They hate your, your stance, however gentle it may be, that is uncompromising. They can't stand it. So does the world hate you? That's hard. Okay. How many of us want to go out and be hated this week? I don't know. Perhaps we should pray that the Lord will open some doors for us, that we might have some taste of this hatred so that we would be reminded that we belong to Christ, that it is his grace that flows through us, that it is his power that flows through us, that we would be reminded that we belong to him. So let's pray. Lord, this is, uh, this is not one of those passages that we, we usually like to dwell on. Because we have to ask ourselves, when was the last time I was hated for being a Christian? When was the last time I was hated because my works were so filled with compassion? Or my life demonstrated the same mercy that Christ's life demonstrated? Now, we'll experience bits and and tastes of this throughout our lives. 
Lord, we know there are believers around the world whose very lives are threatened. They are hated each and every day because they refuse to compromise on the things of faith. Within our culture, it's a little bit more difficult. But Lord, we pray that we don't use that as an excuse to not live boldly for the things of Christ. Place in each of our hearts and remind us that there are times where an uncompromising stance for Christ will be necessary and we will be hated. And remind us of this passage at that moment, that there would be a joy in our heart, not a pride, but a joy to know that we have been so associated with our Lord and Savior that the world hates us. We ask this in his name. Amen.